Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Would you turn with me today to 2 Corinthians? We're going to finish up chapter 5 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be looking verse 18 through 21 today. And we're going to be talking about, again, ambassadors for Christ. This is part 3. And today I want to talk about the undeserved mission of an ambassador for Christ. The undeserved, I want to make sure we emphasize that, mission of an ambassador for Christ. And let me get you into this just a little bit today. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been talking about this. In Roman times, there were two kinds of provinces. There was what was called senatorial provinces, and there was what was called imperial provinces. Yeah, there was a huge difference between the two. The senatorial provinces were made up of people who were peaceful, and they weren't at war with Rome. They had surrendered. They had submitted. But the imperial provinces were not peaceful. They were dangerous because they would rebel against Rome at any time if they had the chance. So it was necessary for Rome to send what we call ambassadors to these hostile imperial provinces on a mission— a peace mission to make sure that good relationships would stay between the two nations. Paul purposely, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God, the ingenious of the Holy Spirit of God, uh, purposely picked the word ambassador to refer to what you and I are and to what he was in his day. The, the Greek word ambassador is not a noun. It's always found in the verb form. I thought that was interesting. Present indicative verb. Paul was always being an ambassador for Christ. The word is, for ambassador is the word presbevo. It's the word that implies an older person or an elder person in a group that had been appointed to be a spokesman, to represent a king or a ruler or a community. Now, in Jewish circles, this person was called, and I think I'm pronouncing it right, Saliah. And this was a person who would speak the exact words of the person who had sent him. In other words, he had a message, but he couldn't alter it in any way. He had to take that message to whoever it was, and he had to speak exactly what it said. Similarly, today we have ambassadors uh, representing our government, our uh, conveying the host to the host country, the wishes and the thoughts of either the president or the prime minister, whoever has appointed this ambassador. You've probably been in foreign countries and seen the embassy there. And we still have that idea today. As soon as an ambassador, even today, utters his own opinion 
and he speaks contrary to the intent of his government, he's immediately relieved of his post. He is only to speak the words of the one who has sent him. Paul was an ambassador for Christ. And we have already seen that Paul had felt the hostility that comes when you speak only that which God has given you to speak. He uses the word ambassador two times in his epistles. The second time that he uses it is in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 20. He says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. So you see, Paul wrote Ephesians and he, from prison just like he did Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. Believers, you and I, are sent into this world, and, and if, if we use the same analogy, into a hostile imperial province. And as his ambassadors, we have the message that God has sent us to take to other people. We are to bring his message of peace into, to those who would be willing to hear. Now, Paul has helped us, beginning in chapter 5 and verse 11, helping us understand what an ambassador for Christ is. He gives us a beautiful picture there. The goal of an ambassador, as we have seen already in our study, is to reason with men. You see, we have to know the Word of God, the message that has been given us to take to others. We have to know that. But also the Holy Spirit, so that the Holy Spirit can make appeal through us and be, bring men to a persuasion. See, Paul lived to persuade men, but he knew that he could not do that. Only God could do that. We saw the grief of an ambassador. The Apostle Paul helps us by his own life. The Apostle Paul understood that even the people that had been persuaded, even the people that God had touched cannot be counted on to stand up behind you when you're falsely accused. We can't depend on that. They won't do it. They, for whatever reason, become the silent majority. But Paul has shown us this, and he had to find his comfort only in the Lord Jesus himself. Paul has shown us the character of an ambassador for Christ in that he has a selfless heart. How do we know that? Because he's constrained by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's moved, he's controlled by the love of God, and that's a selfless love. We have seen that God gives his ambassadors a special discernment. You know, when you are on a mission and, and you're representing the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have his message in your heart, and you're taking it into this hostile imperial province here. You don't see people the way people see people. You don't see rich. You don't see poor. You don't see black. You don't see white. You see hearts, and you see through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Either the people are lost or they're saved. And if they're saved, there's even two parts of that. They may be walking after the flesh, or they may be walking in the Spirit. A person who's an ambassador for Christ, who understands that he's left on this earth for us the divine, eternal purpose, has a special discernment. He sees through the eyes of God himself. This ambassador for Christ that we've been talking about has such a radical spiritual change in his life that the Apostle Paul actually calls himself and also others, you and I, brand new creatures, brand new creatures. He says in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. Well, today we're going to take it another step. We're going to look at the mission that an ambassador for Christ has. We, as ambassadors for Christ, we are sent forth into the imperial province of this world, a hostile world, by the way. And we have God's message of his peace. Today we're going to discover that we have not only a message that's undeserved, 
a ministry that's undeserved, but a method that is totally undeserved. I, I want to pray that you're going to, be, you're going to rejoice today. Because many times we get older in life and we think there is no purpose left for us. Oh, yes. As long as your heart is beating, you are an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're on mission for him. He has chosen to use us. And hopefully this will encourage your heart today. First of all, this mission involves a message that is undeserved. This mission that we're on as ambassadors for Christ involves a message that is undeserved. Look at verse 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Now when Paul says all these things are from God, he's referring to all that God has done to reconcile mankind. The context now comes into play. But the word from is the little word ek. I've taught you this many times before. I'll just keep doing it. My pen right here is in my pocket. I'm going to take it out of my pocket. Now, where did this pen originate? It originated in my pocket. There's another preposition, apo. It means it's beside my pocket. There's a big difference. It doesn't originate in the pocket. It's just next to it. For instance, you get the word apostasy. People that stationed near but not of. You see, many people think apostasy is falling from grace. There's no such thing. Once you're in, you're in. But a lot of people are up next to it and they step away from it. But what we're talking about is ek, out of. That little word ek means it indicates the source. It indicates the origin, the author of something. Now what he's saying here is all these things, all that God has done to reconcile man to himself is out of God. It originates out of the loving heart and character of God. God is the sole author of salvation. It was God who, out of his great love, sent his son into this hostile world to die for our sins. He says, now all these things are out of God. Then he says, who reconciled us to himself through Christ? Now, just think about that statement. God reconciled us to himself through Christ. We should be the initiators of reconciliation. We're the ones who are the offenders. We're the ones who have sinned against God. Even in the apostolic times, the Jewish people understood that, uh, that we're to initiate reconciliation with God through prayer and confession of sin. They would, they would initiate that and go to God. But in the, in the scriptures, we see that it's God who initiated man being reconciled to him by sending his son into this world. He reconciled us. It wasn't about us seeking after God. It was God seeking after us. The word reconciled in, in, implies our separated condition from God. It implies the hostility that mankind has towards God. Listen, you don't need reconciliation unless there's separation, hostility, and enmity. Unless you've done something to break a relationship, to break something, you don't need reconciliation. Uh, have you ever... <laughs> this is a dumb question because everybody could raise their hand. Have you ever been in enmity with somebody else because of something you did towards them? Anybody besides me in here want to raise your hand? <laughs> oh, boy, just to give you a little humor here. <clears throat> when I was in college, remember I've told you I love college. I just hated class. When I was a senior, I was still taking freshman courses. <laughs> uh, you know, it took me a while. And I was in this particular class. 
the teacher, the professor liked me. I don't know why he liked me. He was a hunter, and I would go hunting, squirrel hunting in the morning, and I'd come in, and I'd still have my vest on with shells, empty shells in my pocket, and he'd want them to know. We could kill 40 minutes of a class, so all the people in the class loved the fact that I was in that class because he wouldn't be able to teach but about 10 minutes, <laughs> and then the bell would go off. And uh, we, one year, we started off a brand-new semester, <laughs> and I'm taking this freshman class, I knew that this particular professor did not give tests on his notes uh, that he took during the day. He would tell you exactly what's going to be on the test if you just pay attention the week before he gave it. Go study exactly what he said, and you could get by. And so that's why I kept taking him for different classes. And I'm sitting, I'm sitting there the first day of this brand new class of, of a new set session, and the gorgeous, gorgeous girl came in and sat down beside me. She was second runner, Miss, Miss North Carolina. She, she was Miss High Point, and she was just beautiful. And she was sitting right here beside me, and there's, there's an aisle between us. She's sitting at the desk here. Well, I could tell she was a freshman because she's taking notes on every single thing that he said. And she'd even write down, he breathed, you know. <laughs> I mean, she's just really gung-ho. And so right in the middle, I was looking out the window, drawing pictures and trying to be, be, uh, keep myself from being too bored. And she leaned over and she said to me, what did he say? Because she didn't catch the whole sentence. <laughs> I don't know. You just have to know the grace God's shown me in my life. I, <laughs> I just looked at her and I said out loud, kiss you? I don't even know you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> hostility was built between the two of us <laughs> enmity was built between the two of us there was a definite need for reconciliation <laughs> uh, trying to be a little humorous because if we went as serious as this text is we'd be weeping right now because man's sin caused the enmity with God God, but it was God who reconciled us. The word for reconciliation is the word katalasso, which is the word meaning to radically change something. When we are reconciled to God, we are changed from, from, from being an enemy to God to becoming his friend. Remember in John 15, he said, you're no longer slaves, you are my friend. That's a covenant word. That's when reconciliation has taken place. That's when peace has been given between us and the Father. Paul uses the word in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10 to show how we're the offenders. We are the ones who are the enemies of God in Romans 5.10. It says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And by the way, that little phrase right there is everything we've been teaching for three and a half years. It's his life that saves me every day. I've been reconciled through his death, but daily I'm, I'm saved by his life. No longer me, but Christ living in me. Isn't it interesting how you watch the news and you read the newspapers and the secular world, how people in this secular world think that, that, that man is basically good. How many times have you heard that? Well, let me just tell you something, folks, in case you haven't got the picture. If you want a picture of what we were like before God reconciled us today through the Lord Jesus Christ to himself, then let me read to you Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. And this is everybody blanketed, every human being born into this world. He says, and you were dead 
in your trespasses and in your sins, totally separated from God, no spiritual life within us whatsoever, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were, listen carefully, we were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. That's what we're like. That's what mankind is like. It was only through the supreme sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ that this reconciliation could take place between us and God. So Paul says in our text, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Christ came as actually he's, he's God, the God-man, the ambassador from the Father, came to this earth with a message of salvation, a message of peace to reconcile us to, the, to, to God through himself and what he would do for us. The word reconcile is in the aorist in active tense. And that simply means that it was God's choice. Nobody forced him to do it. God, out of his own heart, out of his own love, out of his own choice, he chose to reconcile us to himself. God, out of his great love, sent his own son into this hostile, hateful world to die for our sins so that we might be reconciled to him. You know, I don't, I don't want to keep moving on. Somehow we have missed something in, in our day. You know, the arrogance of our flesh is incredible. We won't even reconcile other people. We won't even make the step to reconcile other people. And yet God did this for you and I. It's incredible how so many people don't understand what God has done for us. Oh, Vance Havner that I quote from time to time had that little twang in his voice. He said, the problem of Christianity in our day, he says, is that we've lost the sense of wonder of our salvation. Exactly where we are. We've gone sound asleep in the 21st century. We live out of our preferences. We don't live out of our convictions. We live in broken relationships, blaming everybody else for everything else in our life. We, we've lost the wonder. Anything less than hell is grace in our life. Every morning we wake up, we ought to look in a mirror and say, Dear God, I don't even deserve to take a breath today, but you have reconciled me to you. you are, I'm at peace with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be on our face, thanking him every day, humble in our walk, not self-serving as so many have become in our day. God did not abandon us when Adam plunged us into sin. He didn't abandon the human race. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Instead of abandoning us, God took the initiative to restore the relationship. He gave his only son to die on the cross for the remission of our sins. He reconciled us to himself by having Christ pay the penalty for our sin. And it's appeased God's wrath and removed that enmity that was between us and him, and he demonstrated his divine love and grace for us. We had alienated ourselves from God, yet God through Christ reinstated us as believers, as his sons and daughters, and he welcomed us into his family. We were isolated without fellowship, but he invited us 
to joyful communion to both the Father and to the Son. I don't know. I, we have a message that is so undeserved, and yet it's walked on, spit upon, slapped in the face by the arrogance of our flesh in the 21st century. We don't live as grateful people. We don't live as people who deserve nothing but people who have been reinstated with a relationship with the Heavenly Father. So as ambassadors for Christ, we have a message that's totally undeserved. We don't deserve any of it. But not just that. We, while we're on this mission, Paul says that we have a ministry that is undeserved. We don't just have a message that is undeserved. We have a ministry that is undeserved. Verse 18, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Look at this. Look at this. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The word gave is the word vidomi. It means to give out of the goodness of one's heart, out of the intention, the good intentions of one's heart towards someone else. Again, it's in the aorist active tense. It means of his own nature, of, his, of who he is, out of his goodness of who he is, he, he included you and me. He lets us be a part of reconciling the world unto himself. Not only did God initiate our reconciliation, but like I said, now he includes us to reconcile the world. God gave to us, out of his own goodwill, the opportunity to be a part of his plan to redeem mankind. Now, contextually, if you look at it, the word us there, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, contextually would refer immediately to Paul and to his team, and it would help the Corinthians that had caused him so much grief. It would help them understand that everything that Paul did was a part of a divine plan, that Paul didn't choose this. This is something God chose for him, and that God had pulled him into his plan of, of, of teaching and preaching the message of the gospel. But in a much broader sense, all of us, all believers are a part of his plan. Obviously, all of us are a part. Once we say yes to God, we become a part of his divine plan. We are actually usable to God in his great plan of reconciliation while we're still here on this earth. It's a gift from God to us, and it's totally undeserved. Now, you, you just think about it for a second. Not only does he reconcile us to himself, we're no longer enemies with him, but he chooses to use us as a part of his divine plan. Matter of fact, if you look down to verse 1 of chapter 6, you can see what he's talking about. Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 6, and working together with him. And that's the beautiful picture he's trying to show. Not only the, the Corinthians, of how God is working together with Paul as an apostle to bring the message to them. It's a part of a divine plan to reconcile people in this hostile imperial province. But all of us are working together with him. 200% relationship, 100% our surrender, 100% his power to do through us what we could never do ourselves. John Coleman made this for me, and I keep it in the pulpit for times like this. If you want to know what it's like, now, you think this is not grace, folks. You think any of us deserve this? It's like a yoke. Remember, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. It's a yoked relationship. Now, you have to understand the yoke to understand the illustration. On this side, the neck, this is a miniature model, by the way. But you'd put one ox 
over here. And you put the other ox there, their neck would go through here. Their head would be on this side. And it would yoke them together. And as they moved along, they would be together, cooperating together. But here's the interesting thing. The old, more mature ox was in this side. And the young, immature, thinking he knows more than everybody else, is in this side. And the stronger, the more intelligent, the more mature ox is over here. And as they're walking along, the bigger ox is pulling the other one this way, pulling him constantly this way. Now, does the younger ox sometimes try to go his way? Oh, oh yes. In fact, if you've ever been to Asia, as I have been, been in the Philippines, and you've seen these oxen, they've pointed that out to me. Look at the scars on the side of that oxen's neck. And I say, what's that? That's the one that wanted to do it his way. <laughs> and the older one had to drag him half the time to get him to where he would cooperate. And that's the whole picture here. We're working together with him. It's his plan. It's his purpose. But he chooses to yoke himself to inferior, frail, completely stupid, apart from his word, people like you and me. He puts us in the yoke with himself, and we become a part of his divine plan to reconcile the world to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The word ministry, the akonia. It not only can be translated ministry, but service. I have so many people tell me, I don't know how to serve the Lord. I don't. You just get exasperated at some point. Just say yes to him. Get into the Word of God. Renew your mind with the Word of God. And then open your mouth and reason with the lost world. And let God do His work through you as you live yoked to Him. Share the message. Live the message. We are His ambassadors in this hostile imperial province called the world until Jesus comes back. We have the message that can bring peace in a man's heart towards God and then towards one another. Paul once again rehearses what we have to share with others. He, he keeps the message alive in these verses. Verse 19, namely, he says, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Notice the theology that you're learning right here. Systematic theology is not a class you take in seminary. Systematic theology is verse by verse, word for word, as you build brick upon brick about who God is and what he expects out of mankind. Namely, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. God was in Christ shows us once again that Jesus was the visible presence of God on this earth. I don't know how many times I've run across people said, no, no, Jesus was a good man. He was a prophet. He never claimed to be God. And I'm thinking, oh my, let me just show you what he says about that. John 10, 38, he says, but if I do to them, or if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works. Why? so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. John 14, 10. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. John 14, 11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise believe because of the works themselves. John 14, 20, In that 
that day, you will know that I am in my Father. And then he takes it to the next step. And you are in me, and I am in you. Hallelujah. And then in John 17, 21, in his high priestly prayer, it says that they may all be one. He prays to his Father. Even as you, Father, he says, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. God was in Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That little phrase, God was in Christ, Reconciling the world to himself sums up all that Christ did to make our reconciliation with God possible. But it also points to the ultimate thing that he did, and that's the cross. Dying on the cross for your sin and for my sin. He paid a debt he did not owe, and we owed a debt we could not pay. Paul says, God, by doing this, now listen carefully. Now listen carefully, because when we're told to forgive others and reconcile with others, listen to this. God was not counting man's trespasses against him. Now, that's a whole other sermon and a whole other series. Who is it in your life that has offended you? And you're waiting on them to change. Now, listen, God in you and God in me makes the first step. And we do not count their trespasses against them. We don't put them in a ledger and write them down so that months later we can bring them back up to accuse them. God did not count their trespasses against them. And this is who he is that lives within us. And because of this act of God's love, he now chooses, now listen to this, to entrust us with the word of reconciliation. You know, all I can say is, wow. It never gets out of me like it gets into me. Wish you could have been with me when I studied this this past week. God just put on my heart. God inaugurated reconciliation in the coming of his son. But he not only inaugurated, he initiated, he authorized it. But God continues reconciliation by entrusting us with the message. Maybe you hadn't got it yet. Maybe you're still thinking of yourself more highly. And you ought to think, I, I can't go there. I can't go there because I know Wayne. I know too much about Wayne. Now, let's make certain we understand the phrase, the word of reconciliation. What has he entrusted to me? He says he calls it the word of reconciliation. The word for word is logos. You say, Wayne, is that very important? Oh, yeah. It means the intelligent, understandable word of God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the what? The word, logos. And the word was with God, and the word was God. The divine intelligence of God puts our brain as a little grain of sand on a beach of time. It's, it's a pea brain compared to the intelligence of God and the wisdom of God. And that intelligence, that divine intelligence was made known to us because the word became flesh. It's the understandable word. God never does anything that we cannot comprehend and understand if we're willing to do that. The definite article is used before the word for word, which means he's referring to a specific word. And what he's talking about is the word of God. Now, I want you to understand something today. This Bible right here, from cover to cover, is God's word of reconciliation. 
There are some people when it comes to salvation and the gospel, they think that the Roman road is the word of reconciliation. The Roman road to salvation. Oh, that's a pretty good man's plan. But the word of reconciliation is not just that. My goodness, it's the whole of all of Scripture trying to show us how God loves man, sent his son to reconcile man to himself. This is what I love about New Tribes Mission. I don't know how much you know about them. I pastored in First Baptist Church of Lexington, Mississippi for almost three years, years ago. And right near us was Durant, Mississippi. And outside of Durant was the New Tribe Mission Jungle Camp. They would send their missionaries to this area to be trained before they went overseas. I loved it, man. These people had to make their own beds out of wood. I mean, they had to cut the trees down and, and, and lash them together. They had, had to make their chairs. Everything, they had to build their house from nothing, from what was around them. And they had to learn to cook uh, with, a, with a barrel that had been cut in half. And that was their cooking stove. And they invited me, which was a rare privilege for a preacher to get to go over there because they were pretty isolated because it was intense training. But they let me come. Many of them were members of my church. Man, they fixed biscuits. Biscuits. Doesn't that sound good? Just see what time it is. That's a good sound about this time. They made biscuits in a barrel that you put on your forehead, your tongue, slap your brains out. It was good stuff. But you know what I love about New Tribes Mission? Buddy, they parachute these people in, and they don't parachute them, but they put these people on, they drop them off the edge of the world. They go to unreached tribes. Nobody has ever been there. They've never heard the gospel. And you know how they witness to them? They don't take the Roman road of salvation. They take the Bible, and they start in Genesis in the third chapter, man sinned, and this caused a separation of all mankind with God. And they bring out the fact that that God chose to redeem mankind. They even show the promise, the hidden promise there. It's there, but it's veiled of the Lord Jesus. It says to, to Satan, you'll bruise his heel, but he'll bruise your head, buddy, the one born of woman. And then they go to Genesis 15, when God covenanted with Abram. Abram came out of, the, out of Babylonia. He came out of the Chaldees. He, he brought him to himself and how God gave him a covenant. I'm going to use you. And out of your seed, and the seed is singular, the Lord Jesus, he promised the Savior would come through him. And then he had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob and, and Esau. Jacob the younger, was name was changed to Israel. And Israel became the father of 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was out of the seed of Judah and out of the line of David that Jesus got his humanity on this earth and he went to the cross. Why? Because of Genesis chapter 3. God was reconciling the world to himself and they walk all the way through Revelation where Jesus is coming one day for his church. Now that's the word of reconciliation. It's not a little plan or a track you cram down somebody's throat. It's the whole scripture is the plan of God's good news, the gospel, the word of reconciliation. So our mission, while we're on mission down here as ambassadors, we have a message. The Word of God teaches us this message that's undeserved. But we have a ministry that's totally undeserved. Who in the world would have ever thought God would, would consider us to want to make us a part of His redeeming mankind? That's what we're here for. And if we're not being usable in that area, then what are we doing? What are we doing? Listen, life on this earth is not getting to a certain age, getting a motorhome and seeing the world. I'm sorry, that's okay if you do that. But it's until the last breath comes out of our mouth, being an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ with a message that can transform lives. 
But finally, thirdly, an ambassador's own mission for Christ has a method that is undeserved. A method that is undeserved. Even though we have this ministry of sharing God's word, the gospel message as ambassadors in this, in this hostile world, it's Christ living in us and through us that actually accomplishes the task of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, anytime you see a therefore, look to see. <laughs> I know we got that one thing. <laughs> anyway, we, and Paul includes all of us now, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The words as though God were making an appeal could be translated in much better translation as, comma, in fact, God is making an appeal. There's no doubt here. Paul knew his place. He knew that he was just a vessel. He knew that. But it was God, as he would reason with others through the word of God, God through it was making an appeal to the hearts of those who were in hearing of what he was saying. Paul made the plea. He says, we beg you, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. But it was really God who was making the appeal. The word for appeal is the word parakaleo, to be called alongside. But it also can be translated to call out for, to invite, to call for, to invite. Here we do not see the creation calling out for God. And I want you to understand me. Sometimes I make statements, you don't know where I'm coming from. When I say there's no such thing as seekers in our day, what I'm talking about is, People seeking reconciliation with God. They're not seeking reconciliation with God. Isaiah said, there's none who seeks after God. No, not one. It's God seeking after us. He's the initiator of our reconciliation. He's the initiator of our salvation. So he's making an appeal. He's inviting. He's inviting. Every time the Word of God is taught, every time the Word of God is preached, every time the Word of God is shared, God in the, in the midst of it, cannot be seen visibly, is making an appeal to the hearts of people who would hear. We do not see the creation calling out for God. It's the creator calling out for his creation. So what is God's appeal to mankind? It's the very end of the verse. Be reconciled to God. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ... Be reconciled to God. This is God's plea to all mankind without exception. God wants a relationship with us today. He has his ambassadors in place all over the world. Remember back in chapter 1? We talked about God puts you where you can best be used as his ambassador for Christ. I know some of you have told me that. We've, we've repeated this before. That you're wondering why God puts you in the dry southwest with flat houses and brown and you miss the green, and you miss this, and God says, son and, or lady, I know exactly where to put you because I want to use you in a certain place as my ambassador with a message that I have given to you. You reason with men. I'll take care of making the appeal to their hearts. As we share his message in his word, he makes his appeal that, that people might be reconciled. And even believers to be reconciled, not so much to him, that's how already taken place, but in our fellowship with him and with each other. Oh, my goodness. Folks, I've said it, I've said it over and over again. Bitterness in your heart, unforgiveness in your spirit is the biggest detriment to your walk and to your worship from this point on. 
And until people understand God lives in us, he's the one who forgives. Do we, had we offended him? Did we come to him? No, he came to us and did not count our trespasses against us and made us, as his ministers, of reconciliation. Every time the word is preached, shared, taught, God is appealing to men. His word is alive. It's not frozen in time. I love that because it, the verb here is in the present active. Making an appeal is in the present active. Every time the word of God is quoted, read, shared, proclaimed, it's alive. It's alive. And God's in it, making his appeal to the hearts of men to be reconciled, to be reconciled. The Word of God is the message that all mankind is desperate for in the hostile world today. What is that message one more time? Paul just jumps back and forth. Verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. To me, this is one of the most outstanding verses in the whole epistle because it summarizes why we need reconciliation so badly. The question always remains, why would God be willing to overcome his anger towards sin as he reached out to us in love and peace? And the apostle explains, his sinless son, God took his sinless son and made him the sin bearer in our place. And that sacrifice on the cross released God from any kind of wrath he would have towards you and I. And now he's open for reconciliation to all mankind. God had his son pay the penalty of our death on the cross so that we might be declared righteous in his sight. Jesus wore our robe of humanity to the cross so that we undeservedly might wear his robe of righteousness. Christ redeemed us, reconciled us by taking upon himself the curse that rested upon us. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, which was death, eternal separation, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So in verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now to think about it. We are ambassadors for Christ. You know, I love these little name tags you give from time to time. I lose mine about the first hour that I ever put one on. I'm glad we've got, got one now. It's got a real strong magnet that'll hold it on my shirt. Name tags, that identifies us. Like my little son Jonathan wearing his tux at that wedding, he was identified. Everybody knew where he was. Everybody knew where he was going. You know what identifies us? Our surrender to Christ and our willingness to let God use us to make the appeal to people who are desperate and who need to hear the message of reconciliation. We have a message. We have a ministry. And we have a method that is totally undeserved. Last week, this message can be sung. This message can be preached. This message can be shared, proclaimed. There's a lot of ways this message gets out. And last week after the musical was over, and these two young men may even be in this service, and I hope you are, because I want to thank God for you. I walked out. I told you which lines to get in. I was getting ready to go get dunked. And I walked down the steps, and I was standing somewhere right in this area. Hadn't walked out of the building yet. Two men, two young men. I didn't realize two together. I saw two, but I, the first one came right to me. And he said, Wayne, I've seen you on television. I've been here one time before. I need to ask you a question. I said, well, certainly. How, he says, can Jesus be in my heart? 
I want to have Jesus in my heart. Man, I like to jump 10 feet. And he said, oh, by the way, this is my friend. Introduced him to me. And he said, my friend would like to have Jesus in his heart. You know why I'm so excited about last week? Not because it entertained anybody, but because God's message was sung by people who wanted to be ambassadors for Christ. And in the midst of all the beautiful music and all that we saw, God was making his appeal. God was making his appeal. And two came to want to know Christ. Brother Dave led them to Christ over in the response room. That's what it's all about, folks. Everything we do, everything we do. Well, what about believers? Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm an equipper. I'm a pastor teacher. And I'm here to now that you've been reconciled with God to finally get you to the point of being reconciled with each other. You know, that's a different story, isn't it? That's another chapter. We'll get to that someplace. Be reconciled with each other. I want to ask you this question because it's on my heart. I haven't said it. I preached last night. It didn't even come to me. I want to ask you this question. Who is it right now that does not deserve to be reconciled with you? Got a list? Well, let me just share with you that is not the heart of God. We need to get on our face and thank God he didn't treat me and you like sometimes all of us choose to treat each other. Oh, but they've never made amends to me. Well, how many amends have you made to God? He didn't count your offenses towards him, but he reconciled you. And I believe that's the next step of what God's going to do at Hoffmantown Church. He's going to bring a healing in this auditorium, in these people, all three services. And when that healing comes, look out and strap your seatbelt on. That's when we're going to see a move of God like you've never seen before in your life. We are the reconciled. And to us has been given the ministry of reconciliation. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.